Well, for those of you that don't know me, I'm, I'm Greg, and the people that do know me, one of the things they know about me is that <clears throat> I'm kind of a baseball nut. I'm all about baseball, and so because of that, I usually don't pass up any opportunity. I'm up here to at least mention it, and this morning is no exception. So I was doing a little bit of, I was doing a little bit of research, and would it surprise you to know that if you look really hard, perhaps too hard, in Scripture, you can find the earliest references to baseball? <laughs> would that surprise you? Any, any idea where that is? Well, I'll tell you what, it's in Genesis, and it begins with the big inning, right? <laughs> Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain and Abel struck out, and the giants and the angels were rained out. Now, is that foresight on God's part or what? And for those of you who aren't amused, you're just going to have to forgive me because this has been a stressful week. I got called in by my, by my doctor this week. He said, Greg, he goes, there's a problem with your DNA. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, your DNA, it's backwards. And I said, and? <laughs> All right, enough of that. Enough of the dad jokes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, um, with open hearts and open minds, and we just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would touch every one of us. We invite your Holy Spirit to minister to us and to teach us and to show us your way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since we're... Uh, since I'm being a little vulnerable here, does anybody mind me sharing a little bit of my ignorance? Um, the other day I made a discovery, and there's a phrase that I've, I've always kind of embraced. I thought it was really kind of a cool phrase, but I never used it because I thought it was a little irreverent. You know, I came from one of these houses where you didn't use God's name in vain, even though we weren't Christians. You know, we said gosh instead of God, right? And... Uh, so this phrase, God smacked, you know, always kind of, I always kind of liked that. I thought, wow, being God smacked, that sounds powerful, right? But I didn't use it because, yeah, you know, you just don't throw God's name around like that. Well, believe it or not, I was reading an article last week, and boom, right in my face is an article about God smack. And it turns out that the phrase is not God smacked, but gob smacked. And it's a British English term. Gob in, in British slang means, means face. So face smacked. It means, you know, being startled to realize something or, you know, having a profound uh, uh, realization about something. And so I was kind of jazzed about it, you know, and I'm like, I get it on my phone and I start texting Jeff and I start texting, guess what, man, you know, this thing about gob, you know, God smacked, it's really gobsmacked and da-da-da-da-da. And they're both like, yeah, wow, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool, you know. So, you know, I mean, look, you know, I'm an old prison guard, you know, it's, I can barely spell and write my own name. So, you know, this was pretty profound for me. And gobsmacked is a good way to describe how I felt the first time I truly began to understand what it meant to be blessed of God. 
The first time I ever heard a Christian use the word blessed was from a convict, a guy serving life in prison. And um, he would come through uh, my workstation, this is when we were at San Quentin, and he would come through my workstation and have to check in before going to his job every day. And he had this, you know, big cheese-eating smile on his face and, you know, always had a spring in his step. And, and he would come up to me and, and uh, he would say, good morning, CO, you know, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even reply to him. You know, it was, it, at that time I was going through a lot of things in my life. Uh, I was having problems at home and I was struggling with some of the things that I had been exposed to on the job. And not long before this, this experience with him, I had actually had to participate in an execution. And, you know, I thought I was this really tough guy, but it, it, I really kind of began to realize I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. And I was kind of, I was beginning to crack a little. So one of the ways I coped was by just being mean. You know, I'd be mean to people, I'd be mean to inmates. So when this guy showed up every morning with this smile on his face and a spring in his step, it irritated the heck out of me. And even though he would greet me, I would just ignore him. Finally, one morning, I got weak. And he said, good morning, CO. And I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm blessed. Thank you for asking. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Blessed? How is this dude blessed? I mean, I go home every night. I'm miserable. He's stuck here in prison for the rest of his life, and he's got this stupid grin on his face. How does that work? Well, long story short, eventually that inmate, along with a, another officer, um, are who led me to the Lord. Blessings. Have you ever stopped to consider how your life has truly been blessed? Maybe you're thinking, really? Because, dude... I don't feel very blessed. I mean, we've all been going through this stupid pandemic. We've been subjected to all kinds of hardships and fears, frustrations with that. Maybe you've lost somebody to it. Or maybe you're going through some kind of trauma in your own life. Maybe you or someone you love is having some serious health problems. Maybe your marriage is going through a rough patch. Maybe you just feel anything but blessed. Would it surprise you to find out you are truly blessed? Well, blessed, what does that mean? Well, Webster says, blessing, a special favor, mercy, or benefit. A favor or gift bestowed by God. So we're going to see how it is so much more than we really think it is. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be going through, verses, going through verses 1 through 14, and we're going to let the Lord speak to us about the subject of spiritual blessing. You might find it interesting to note that this letter to the Ephesians was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome, and he was facing possible execution. And even though Paul was locked up and facing an uncertain future, he saw fit to encourage others and remind the church in Ephesus of, the, of God's overflowing kindness and blessings. Now, it appears Paul had a degree of liberty while he was in confinement. He was allowed visitors. 
But by all outward appearances, there was nothing going on in Paul's life right then to indicate he had any reason to feel blessed. And yet, let's take a read through Paul's introduction and this morning's passage. And then we'll come back and circle back around and start looking at it verse by verse. In verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as, has, as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, his glorious grace, and which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of, his, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Well, in addition to being arguably one of the most beautiful passages of scripture in the Bible, verses 3 through 14 is the longest single run-on sentence in the original Greek in the Bible. And some scholars have argued that it's actually the longest run-on sentence of any Greek manuscript, period. Now, in verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us three very important things here in his introduction. First, Paul is an apostle. He has a divine appointment. Well, what is an apostle? The New Testament use of the word apostle refers to an emissary, also one who sat under the instruction of Jesus and generally refers to the 12 in the Gospels. But Paul, though an apostle who came along later, was universally accepted and without exception accepted by the other apostles. This was because Jesus had appeared to him and instructed him. It just happened to occur following uh, Jesus' earthly death and resurrection. Second, the apostleship wasn't something he sought after, but it was God's divine will for Paul's life. Paul had been raised a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, devoutly religious and observant Jews, 
He was highly educated in Jewish theology. He learned at the feet of Gamaliel, one of Israel's most renowned sages. And as a young man, he held the cloak of those who had stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith. Later, he carried letters from the high priest of Israel, authorizing him to persecute Christians. Paul was up and coming, we would say, being recognized and well on his path that would have led to prominence within the Jewish establishment of his day. But Jesus had a different road for Paul. And it was on the road to Damascus, Paul had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. We read that in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 6. It says, Now as he, Paul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Jesus had a different plan for Paul. Third, Paul is talking to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. Well, who are saints? Uh, if you're like me, some of us were raised in a tradition or brought up to believe that saints are a special class of super-Christian, right? who have to go through some kind of nominating process and have it bestowed upon them by church leadership. This does exist, but this is not what the Bible teaches. The saints referred to here and other places in the Bible are simply believers in Jesus Christ. The word saint translated here in our Bible is the Greek word hagios. Its meaning is godly or holy or set apart. This is how believers in Jesus are referred to over and over again in Scripture. So what do we have? This, this is a letter from Paul, an emissary of Jesus Christ, divinely appointed by God to believers in Jesus. In verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Paul uses two words in his salutation that represent two very different cultural orientations. Grace, which was a common Greek or Roman expression in opening a letter, meaning undeserved love and acceptance. In this case, God's grace upon them, upon us, right? The other, peace, or shalom, a Hebrew expression of greeting among the Jewish people. This expression carries with it a much more, much more than a general expression of peace, though, but rather one of God's peace, which can only come from a relationship with him. And by combining these words in his greeting, Paul expressed the true desire he had for unity among Jewish and Gentile believers alike. And as they move forward together as one body, one family in Christ, so understanding this unity, it really sets the table for the blessing Paul wants to talk about. In verse 3, from the Father, we have, Blessed be the God, of, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Paul begins by giving us the context for 
this word, blessed. He used the beginning of a very Hebrew, very sacred, very Old Testament refrain of praise to God, baracha. He chose the Greek word, eulogitos, to express the Hebrew idea of baracha in Greek. It comes from the root eulogia, where we get the English word to eulogize. And we translate both of these words as blessed in English. And with this idea of barakah, Paul paints a beautiful picture of praise to God. Before all things, praise to God, who alone is good and right and holy and glorious and deserving of our praise. Most Jewish blessings begin with Baruch Adonai Lehenu Melech HaAlam. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. Blessed are you, Lord God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes first the Father as the source of our blessing. Why? Because all blessings, all things that are good, flow from God. Jesus once, or James 1.17 tells us, and, he, and I hear it, I think the NIV really captures it best. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Verse four through six, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. This is one of those marvelous mysteries of God that God had us in mind before he even created the world. The Greek word translated world here is cosmos. It also refers to the universe. And in fact, today, that's what the science community uses to refer to the universe, the cosmos. To the Greek mind, it brought with it the idea of all physical order. To think God had you and me in mind before all these things. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18 tells us, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We're told he chose us before he even created. He called you and he called me in Jesus. He also tells us we have a responsibility to respond to that calling. This is a divine mystery, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. 
And through our relationship with Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Adoption refers to the bestowing of family rights and privileges on a person born outside of the family. Paul uses this metaphor to illustrate the believer's privileges in Christ as children of God to the praise of his uh, glorious grace. Grace means undeserved favor. He has accepted us. There's no work we can do that will make us acceptable to God. But because Jesus did live the perfect and acceptable life that we never could and paid the price for our failure, the Father makes us acceptable in Christ. This is our eternal position, which will never change. In all of this, the Father has blessed us. In Christ, the Father has given us every spiritual blessing. Verse 7, from the Son. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption through his blood. Redemption means to purchase, to pay a price, to set something free. It's said that during the time of Paul, there were some three million slaves in the Roman region of Italy alone. And a person could actually purchase the freedom of a slave. The act of freeing a slave was called manomizio, which literally means sending out from the hand. The freeing of a slave was a public ceremony performed before some kind of public official. And the owner, he would touch the slave on the head with a staff, and he was free to go. It's kind of that way with me. I feel like God's kind of hit me on on the head with a stick a time or two. But Christ purchased our freedom by shedding his blood on the cross. For those who have accepted his gift, they are now free from the law, and they're free from the slavery of sin. It said, forgiveness of of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. In the law of Moses, the sins of the people were atoned for once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. The high priest would make a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. The high priest would bathe his entire body, not just washing his hands and feet, but bathe his entire body and put on white linen and white undergarments and a sash and a turban instead of the normal richly ordained high priest robe. This was to show the purity of the priest. He then sacrificed a bull for his sin and the sin of his family. He filled a censer with burning coals from the altar and two handfuls of incense, and he entered into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of God and the mercy seat, which sat on top of the Ark, reside. This was the only time during the year the high priest could ever enter in the Holy of Holies in God's presence. And when he walked in, he was to place the incense on the coals, and this would form a cloud over the mercy seat. This symbolized the need to shield the priest from the eyes of a holy God. The priest would exit and get some of the bull's blood and would return and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and then seven times on the ground before the mercy seat. This was to atone or pay for his sin. Then the priest turned to two goats, and he cast lots over them. One was chosen for a sacrifice, and one was chosen as the scapegoat. 
A piece of crimson wool was tied to the horn of the scapegoat, and a thread was bound around the goat to be sacrificed. Next, the sacrificial goat would be killed. The blood of the goat would be brought into the Holy of Holies, and the same ritual would be performed. This was for the sins of the people. And when he emerged from the holy place, he took mixed blood of the bull and the goat and put it on the horns of the altar outside of the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the altar to cleanse the tabernacle from the contamination of the sins of the people. And then the priest laid his hands on the living goat, and he confessed the sins and the wickedness of the people of Israel, and he put them on the goat's head. This goat was then led away into the desert. And then the priest bathed again and put on normal robes and completed the burnt offerings and the the rituals. All of this served a very important purpose to graphically illustrate the separation between God and man. The death of an animal and the demand for blood showed them that sin was costly. It demonstrated the insufficiency of the works of people to make themselves righteous before God. The ceremony which covered the unintentional sins of the people had to be repeated annually every year. Other sacrifices were also required throughout the year. Hebrews 10, 1 through 3 tells us, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshiper, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious, no consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. It also points out painfully that we need a substitute for our sins. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 to 18, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And all, all of this, not because we deserve it, but because God's divine attribute of grace. Christ, who is sinless and perfect, made the unimaginable choice of taking upon himself the sins of the world, of me, of you. And he paid the price that we certainly deserved in order to show us favor that we in no way deserved. Each of us deserves death and eternal separation from him. He did this so that we could have eternal fellowship with God through him, once and for all, no more sacrifices. 
verses 8 through 10. Which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, to unite in him all things, things in heaven and on earth. The word mystery here simply refers to that which was once hidden or unknown to us. God's chosen us through Christ to reveal his plan to his people, his great plan of redemption, how he will reconcile all things through himself, through Christ. God has revealed his will for us. Verses 11 through 12 say, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In Christ, we have a wonderful inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, for me. We are also the Father's gift to Christ. Jesus praying to the Father in John 17, 6 through 10, tells us, I have manifested your name to the people whom you had given me out of the world. Yours they are. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. What a beautiful picture. Christ is the Father's love gift to us. And we, the church, are the Father's love gift to the Son. In all of this, Christ has blessed us. And then the Holy Spirit in verse 13 through 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Really, in these two verses, God shows us the entire process of salvation. First, we hear the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead. And then next, having heard the word, we believed. And then we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. This idea of sealed is significant because it, it has several layers of meaning. In Paul's day, official documents were sealed with clay wax that was imprinted with a symbol of authority and ownership. To a first century mind, a seal implied ownership of the document and security. The seal of Roman government drew much fear. No one dared tamper with an official Roman seal. By being sealed, it was ensured to be untampered with and delivered in the condition it was intended by the owner. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee that we are God's property. We are the genuine article and will be delivered safely into the kingdom under the protection and care of the Holy Spirit. In these ways, the Holy Spirit blesses us. So, going back to my, my story from San Quentin, you know, once I truly began to understand what the Lord had done for me, I understood what that inmate brother meant when he told me, he was blessed. 
His problems hadn't gone away, but he was able to keep a heavenly gaze in this walk through life. And when we're going through stuff, we need to remember how God really has blessed us. When our eyes are off ourselves and lifted towards heaven, things seem to find their place. Let me repeat that. When our eyes are off ourselves and we are focused on heaven, things seem to find their place. And because we give it to him and allow his blessings to overshadow everything else in our lives. So we're blessed because every spiritual blessing comes from God. Paul understood this. This is why he was able to say it from prison. Why has the Father chosen us to be blessed for adoptions as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ? It goes back to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why has Christ blessed us by redemption through his blood and forgiving our sins? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why has the Holy Spirit sealed us who have accepted Christ and promised his protection over our spiritual inheritance? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why has God chosen to bless us? Everyone? To the praise and the glory of his grace. Because God is glorified and all his creation is witness to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. As we go through our lives and we are just overwhelmed by the things of this world, help us to remember how truly blessed we are. We thank you for this time, Lord. We ask you to walk with us, remind us, hold our hands through this life. In Jesus' name, amen.